Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast. We're really excited you're here with us today because we have a school level view with our good friend, literacy coach from Baltimore City Public Schools, Brielle Ukoha. And we are just so thrilled that she's here with us. She has such a kind heart. She's one of the sweetest people that I know. And um, we thought that Brielle would be perfect to talk about equity and access through um, an aligned standards aligned curriculum. Brielle and I attended an equity residency program with Unbound Ed, um, I guess a year ago, and then last winter as well. And so we learned so much about equity and access and what that looks like and how that plays out in curriculum as well as in our classrooms. And so Brielle is on the front line as a literacy coach, and we just wanted to hear her perspective, her stories, and hear how this impacts her little school in Baltimore and just give us a little slice of her day-to-day -day life. So Brielle, welcome. Please introduce yourself. We're so happy that you're here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, like you said, Brielle Koha. I'm a literacy coach for Baltimore City Public Schools, and I am working at Lockerman Bundy Elementary in West Baltimore. Um, I've been an educator now for 13 years, but for the past seven years, my job has really focused on literacy instruction. Um, so I'm really excited to be here to talk with you guys about that. Um, I've spent this past year supporting teachers at my school in implementing our new literacy curriculum. Um, just supporting learning around that curriculum, um, really understanding it and working through the challenges of implementing it. Awesome, thank you. Well, we can't wait to dig in and hear your stories. Um, I know Melissa always has a question in her back pocket, but I, I will hand it over in a moment, Melissa, but I wanted to call out. <laughs> All right, I, I can wait, I can wait. Okay. Um, so Brielle and I were part of an equitous, equity residency. That's really hard to say 10 times fast. <laughs> with Unbound Ed, an undoing racism workshop with the People's Institute. And during this couple of days that we really dug deep into history and research and each other's stories, um, I learned so much about Brielle and she shared a story about her girls and school. Brielle has two beautiful girls. Um, and I just resonated with me and stuck with me. And to this day, I remembered that she shared the story and she didn't even remember that she shared it, but I was sitting there crying while she was sharing the story. And so I would love for her to share, to start with sharing that story on our podcast today. Um, just to kind of point us in the direction of equity and access and um, how that resonated for her personally with her daughters. So, like you said, I, um, after going through the first round of our um, experience with Unbound Ed, um, I already had um, an extreme passion for educating all of our students, um, but it became more personal 
um, now that I'm a mother um, and I've had to go through a lot of experiences as a parent of a student, um, but specifically this past year, I had an experience that really opened my eyes to the reality of inequity um, in instruction and just inequity in education in general. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter, she's seven. <laughs> and, you know, she hasn't been in school for that long, but she's been a high performer since she's been in school. Um, and she really loves learning. She's, you know, all about school. She loves to do well. She loves to show you what she knows. She loves to ask questions. Um, and she's just a very um, engaged learner. Um, this past year, she started second grade and the year before that, she had been, she had only spent a half of the year um, in kindergarten and then they moved her to first grade um, based on her high performance. I was the only one in my family that was kind of wary about it, just as an educator, knowing that she might miss some content um, in moving grades halfway yeah. through the year. Mm-hmm. But when she started second grade, um, her first report card came home um, and she had a C in math. And my husband and I were not very hardline parents. Um, we're not, you know, we don't expect her to always get these, but um, we just, we know her potential. And seeing a C for, um, on her report card was, it, you know, it, it shocked us because it's not her. Um, and on top of that, she was very upset with herself. She's very hard on herself. Mm-hmm. I bet. <laughs> and, um, she, sound, she sounds like she's um, striving for her very best. She always is. And (laughs) it was, (laughs) it was hard. It was hard for me just to, you know, I had to discuss with her, you know, that it wasn't the end of the world. Um, I had to, you know, just told her that we would just work on it and she would get better. Um, I asked her a lot of questions about why she thinks it might've happened. You know, she really didn't know what was going on. She thought she was doing well. So, you know, parent teacher conference time came around I went to the conference. This is the first time I met the teacher. Uh, my husband had really done all of the interaction before that. So, you know, I got there and the teacher was very um, excited to meet me. She had all this praise about my daughter, um, just saying that, you know, she's a great student and all of this stuff. But then, you know, I was really, you know, still really concerned about the C. So I brought up my concerns around her grade in math. Um, and the teacher was just, she seemed really just confused, I guess, about why I was concerned. Um, She assured me that Layla was doing well in math, that she was actually outperforming most of the other students. Um, Wait, a C is outperforming? That's, that is what she told me. (laughs) And, you know, that the concepts are just really difficult, Um, but she was doing really well. And, um, you know, that was, it was shocking to me. To, to hear the teacher say that she was doing very well, but to yeah. see that she was not, obviously she wasn't performing at grade level if she was not receiving a grade that. Yeah, where yeah. she would be mastering most of the concepts. Like a yeah. C is like, yeah. I guess it's okay, but yeah, you know, if she's not best and yeah. And, and that's, I mean, it was upsetting to me because um, as her mother, I knew that it wasn't her best one, but I knew that it also wasn't what she thought she was doing. You know, it wasn't the level of performance that she thought she was 
where she thought she was. Um, so, you know, I explained that to the teacher that, you know, our expectations for her were different. And after the interaction, um, I really had to sit back and think about not what the teacher was saying about her, because she was saying really good things, but really what was not being said, you know, and in, in saying that she was doing very well, it was really that she was doing very well for what the teacher expected of her. Yeah. And what the teacher expected of the students in the classroom. Um, so that really, I think that situation really upped the urgency around the work around equity. Um, just to see firsthand that teachers don't always have the same expectations for students that even the students might have for themselves. Yeah. Brielle, yeah. this just makes me think of, you know, teachers hold high expectations for students and believe they can meet grade level standards, provide those key resources for high academic experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's, has, that's a really high lever right there with that high expectation. Um, I think like where that strikes me as a mom and as an educator is just like in the heart, right? Like I want that teacher to want not just A's, but for everybody to master all the concepts or to aim toward mastery, you know, to work toward mastery. Um, can I, I know we, we talk about race openly, Brielle. Can I, can I ask what race the teacher was? She was, she was white. And I think, I mean, do you think that that had anything to do with it? So it's so interesting because a year ago, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. I don't think I honestly would have thought about it in that way specifically. Um, but now, you know, having gone through all the learning and the discussion and really just having my eyes open to what could be, you know, and we've learned a lot about unconscious bias mm -hmm. and I'd really like to believe that the teacher saw my daughter as something that she wasn't based on, you know, an unconscious idea. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to make sure that we call out here. You know, we're not pitting white teachers against black children. Um, okay. You know, this is something high expectations holding those high expectations for all students is something that um, all teachers, regardless of race, um, need to do in order to assure that students experience high academic experiences. Um, Brielle, can you tell us more about unconscious bias? So the idea of unconscious bias is that um, we all have these preconceived ideas um, about things that we may not even realize that we have. Um, and a lot of it's based on just um, the science of human nature. Um, it's something that we've developed to kind of protect ourselves. We need to know, we need to be able to predict what might happen in a situation or what to do in a certain situation based on what we know about things. So yep. we've kind of developed this way of judging things or come, having ideas about things and people uh, more specifically before we really even know who they are. Um, and a lot of that 
unfortunately, is based around race. So having preconceived ideas about a certain racial group based on what you may have seen or heard about them and maybe not even realize that's been fed to you through media um, will play into how you interact with those people. So can I jump in here real quick, you guys? Yeah, please do. <laughs> so I know I we got we got out there to fast. everybody. <laughs> no, that was pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not able to go to any of the Unbound Ed Institutes this year, and I was very, very jealous. You can ask many of my colleagues every time you guys went. I was like, I want to go. <laughs> um, but I think because you guys just you learned so much, and I um, and so many important things that I was able to kind of like pick up little things along the way, but I know there's so much more um, to learn. Um, and I, I think the one thing that is sticking with me, like you guys are jumping, jumping into like some super deep topics that we could definitely go a little bit <laughs> deeper into way deeper into. Yeah. Um, but I know like one of the things that Lori always talks to me about is that the first, one of the first charges from unbound ed is to adopt aligned curriculum. So like when you're talking about those like deep topics about race and um, unconscious bias, it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, that could, like, that come there's a lot yeah. there. But to think like, wow, the first thing that we should do is to actually adopt an aligned curriculum seems a little bit, it wouldn't be the first thing I would think of. Um, so I'd find that really interesting. And I'm wondering, Brielle, if you wanted to talk a little bit too about like, you know, as we did adopt this, standards aligned curriculum this year like how do you see that kind of disrupting or kind of getting to this equity and access yeah. with what you were just talking about definitely so um i think so unbound ed's um belief is that the standards are justice teaching the standards are justice giving mm -hmm. students access to standards aligned instruction is justice um, and that it really, like you said, disrupts any of the, um, the, the impact that bias may have on instruction. Yep. So the idea is that the standards are what they are. And in getting students to master those standards, you're giving them the opportunity to be prepared for for life after after high school, right? For college, for career, for life. And we know the reality is that many of our students are not prepared when they leave school, if they leave school at all, um, if they yep. choose to finish school at all. And, mm -hmm. you know, specifically our students of color who um, historically have underperformed compared to their um, other racial counterparts. So, the idea is if we get students to master these standards, we are getting them justice. We're getting them that, that opportunity that they may not have based on other things. Um, and that we can kind of combat those things by sticking to what the standards ask us to teach the students. Mm -hmm. um, I want to also throw in there that even though that's the first charge and that's like the first step, the other charges get much deeper. Yeah, <laughs> I can. I have them in front of me. I I can uh, share them, and I'll we'll also share them in the show notes. So if anybody would like to um, head to Unbound Ed's website and check them out, but the five charges: the first is adopt aligned curriculum. 
The second is attend to the language of the standards. The third is talk about race systematically. The fourth is examine bias and its role in our work and learning. And the fifth is commit to adaptive change within the shifts. Although I am not sure that this order is um, after you do number one, I think two, three, four, and five are just all mm -hmm. interchangeable within one. <laughs> I agree. Um, I agree. I agree. And I think that's because, you know, the standards aligned curriculum is just, you know, that technical piece. It's something that we can have and hold, but it's not the the mindset change that has to happen in order for teachers to actually use the curriculum the way it's intended to be used. Right. Yeah. Did you see, like, I mean, this, this year was the first year we had a standards line curriculum full blown. Um, <laughs> did you like, did you see like the, just the adoption of that did have any effect in your school? Like, did you see any, like, I'm just wondering if there was any, if that made a huge shift for any one teacher or one classroom or a few classrooms or anything. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely there were a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, impact, but um, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there was, there was a lot of, there were a lot of positive points. So the fact that students had quality texts in front of them every day, um, they had writing instruction that was integrated into their um, what they were reading, mm -hmm. um, several opportunities for reading, speaking, writing about these quality texts that were grade level and beyond. Um, that was something that, again, was that first step, right? And then mm -hmm. the fact that students um, were able to build knowledge around that top around a specific topic over time really led to them having more confidence to engage in these speaking and writing tasks because now they have the knowledge and the vocabulary to do it. Um, I saw so much a desire to read more, to learn more about the topics that they were studying um, that I hadn't seen in the past, especially with, you know, our upper elementary students who start to kind of that, that excitement about school and about learning starts to fade away a little bit. It, it was there and it was a, around topics that I wouldn't necessarily have thought would have been interesting to them, but, you know, mm -hmm. I think the fact that they had learned so much just got them interested to learn more, um, just willingness to engage in the tasks. Yeah. I'm smiling right now. I'm really happy to hear that kids were excited <laughs> to read more and to learn more about topics. Do you remember any topics or texts in particular that they were really excited for? Oh man. Um, fifth grade has a unit around the civil war <laughs> and um students were i mean to the point where they wanted to do their own research Aww. to find out more um and just they were so into the the discussion um and just ask, asking questions that i wouldn't have thought about <laughs> good um, but just really getting into it and wanting to know more and really wanting to understand. Um, and I really think that was part of it was the connection that they felt as, you know, as black students, knowing that this is their history mm -hmm. and yes, probably, you know, for most of them just really <laughs> learning what this whole idea of the civil war was, what slavery really was and how it played out. Um, it was, it gripped them and, they took it and ran with it. And it was, it was amazing to see that. 
That's awesome. Thank you for for sharing that. I think that's really important to call out like specifics because Melissa always talks about and what is what the Canterbury Tales, Melissa? (laughs) You know, you know it. (laughs) Everybody's always a little afraid of the uh, upper grades and and how the kids are going to react to some texts and tasks and topics. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that they get so excited and more excited than we would initially think. So I'm really thankful that you shared that specific example. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So when we think about that equity and access piece and how it plays out in the curriculum, uh, were were there any challenges? Oh, definitely. (laughs) There were no challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everything was just me. So, I mean, so out of all of the challenges, I think our biggest challenge um, was just getting everyone to to learn about and trust the curriculum for what it was. Um, The lessons were there, the materials were there, but I think the the challenge was still getting teachers to deliver the instruction um, as it was written, as it was intended. Um, and Brielle, you you mentioned mindset. Is mm-hmm. that like when you're saying like that they may have not taught it as it was written? Does the mindset come into that at all? The or, I want to say bias, but it might not be bias. I don't know. You, I'll let you talk about it. <laughs> you tell me what it was. <laughs> so I, definitely a part of it is just the the idea of just there was a big change, right? And so people were losing what they were used to doing, um, right? letting go of that. Um, but also this idea that, you know, they just didn't trust that this curriculum was right for our students. And then that's where this, when we when we start thinking about our students, we have to remember that where I am and a large part of the students that we serve in Baltimore City are students of color or are students that, you know, are receiving free free and reduced lunch. Um, We are serving a population of students who are historically underserved Mm -hmm. in many different ways. So this idea of something not being right for our students can go a lot of different ways. Yes. And um, I think, Lori, what you mentioned earlier about realizing that this unconscious bias can is something that affects all of us. It's not just um, people who are white, people who are, you know, not of color. It impacts all of us. Right. Yeah. And I can speak definitely the, the teaching staff at my school is majority teachers of color, mm-hmm. but there's still room for that bias to play in right to think that you know maybe this curriculum may be too difficult or maybe the things that they're teaching them they're not going to succeed so I need to add to this curriculum or I need to take something away from the lessons in order to make it more suitable for my students and sometimes that's really it's coming out of love for the students sometimes it may not be you know but it's that feeling like the students can't or won't get it as it's intended but what that does is it dilutes the standards it dilutes the rigor of the standard um so yes melissa i think that that unconscious bias does play into it um and it's a little bit more than just they can't handle the learning i think it's also this idea that they can't handle 
the failure that they might experience. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Difficult. Yeah. Tell us more about that. <laughs> what do you mean by failure? Um, so I, I, read, I, I saw the fail fast, learn quick. That's what I always say, fail fast, to learn quick. And I feel like that puts it in a positive light, yeah. but I don't think that everyone has that mindset on a failure because our culture has not typically given failure a positive mindset. Yes. Yeah. In our culture, um, I think our profession as educators, um, sometimes it's difficult for educators to be learners mm -hmm. instead of um, having to be a performer mm -hmm. um, to allow an educator to feel like I may not know everything um, and I may have to learn how to do something different, I think is it's it's something that our profession may have lost somewhere along the way um so yes the idea that the the students aren't going to be able to handle not getting it the first time right so i'm going to pad this lesson with so many um scaffolds and so much you know support so many supports for the student so that they get it the first time you know yeah. um mm -hmm. it takes away that struggle that the students really need to go to through in order to learn um if they get it the first time because you've given them so much what happens when they're expected to do it on their own yeah yeah they're going yeah. to well anyway <laughs> There have been so many times when I, th I keep thinking this is like, I hear that often, like, well, our students can't do X. And, and think, I think where teachers are coming from is like, if I hand this to them, mm -hmm. they won't be able to do it by themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I keep thinking, like, if they could, <laughs> then they wouldn't need you, right? They wouldn't need a teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, that's true. you know, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think that's, that's an interesting way to think about it, too, is like, yeah, if, they shouldn't like be able to do it first try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what, what's, who said that, Lori? I can't remember. Like, what's the least amount of support they need uh, from you Katie. to get there? Katie. <laughs> Katie Scotty said that. Now we're quoting other people. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's that, it's that productive struggle that, that, I mean, I think about when I learn yeah. something, even as an adult, as I'm learning something new, um, like I have a Dyson vacuum and I bought it years ago I don't want to pay another $200 to get a vacuum it was a crazy purchase to begin with and it <laughs> broke and I had to take a nickel and YouTube videos and call the company and go through step by step how to fix this and I sat there on the floor for two hours and persevered through this task but if I would not have done that like it wasn't easy and I wouldn't have done that had I not had somebody on the phone talking to me from the company, like talking me through it, but only telling me enough that I needed to know to get to the next step because <laughs> mm -hmm. I had to do the work. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, you know, I just think like we're, we're taking that productive struggle away from the kids, like mm -hmm. not keeping in mind that as adults, when we learn new things and do new things, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I recently saw a quote I think it was on probably on Pinterest, but <laughs> and I'm going to misquote it, but something about, you know, when we learn to walk, we learn by falling down and getting up and trying again. We don't learn yeah. by someone telling us to do it. Um, right. 
So that just letting letting the students go, um, letting them experience failure, but as a teacher being there to support them, letting them know that you're there to support them if and when they fail, giving them the correct supports to then help them improve for the next try. And I think also just highlighting the the little successes that they have along the way. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the, it's what I've been trying to express to teachers um, and really pushing that idea of independence, student independence. Like we don't want them under our wing forever. Um, We want them to be able to do this on their own. And the only way to get them there is to let them try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this also reminds me of um, the opportunity myth. Um, from TNTP, which Lori, I know you'll link it, right? I will link it. I pretty much think I link it <laughs> in every you, podcast. You. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, the thing that hit me from that the most was the um, that high expectations part of it. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to read this quick quote for you guys. Um, it says the system doesn't send teachers the message that their mindset matters nearly as much as the material they teach or the practices they employ in their classrooms. Yet teacher expectations had a stronger effect on student achievement growth than any other factor we studied, which just kind of blows my mind, you know, because you just think like, oh, if we get this new curriculum or if we do this new thing, that's what that that will work. Um, but to think just the like expectations of the teacher have that strong of effect is pretty huge. Yeah. Um, when so yeah, when, and when I have some more data when teachers held high expectations for students. I truly believe that they could meet grade level standards. Students gained four months of additional learning. And that's what the, that was one of the key findings of that study. To piggyback on what you just said, Melissa, that's huge. Yeah, so crazy. (laughs) Just believe it and give them the curriculum as intended. (laughs) I have a, um, I have a teacher at my school um, who like specifically stood out as a rock star around that expectation piece. So one of the challenges I think as a district we experienced with implementation this year was, especially for our younger students, um, a concern around the curriculum being too challenging or just not being developmentally appropriate is I think what the language was (laughs) for the students that, you know, were typically K-1 students. And this teacher, she was a kindergarten teacher. um, She never even stopped to take that mindset on um, she took the curriculum from the beginning just took it and studied it and took what she knew about her students and made it work she spent the time to really think through what the lessons were asking of her students she thought about what she knew her students needed from the lessons and when I came into the into the classroom um, just to see kindergartners with books in their hands every day to see them engaged in text analysis and leading this like it's them speaking it's not the teacher prompting them and the mm-hmm. teacher telling them you know giving them the answer in a <laughs> in a um discreet way it was the students coming up with these ideas um seeing kindergartners writing independently was a big thing um it was just it was really awesome 
she was an awesome teacher. She still is an awesome teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And she was so proud of what she saw. I probably have like 50 videos on my phone right now of of just, you know, times when she would just stop and just send me a video of what they were doing because she was so proud of them. Um, But I think more amazing than that was how proud the kids were of themselves. Yeah. You know, they would... (laughs) They would love to tell you, and that's how kindergartners are, but just to see them being able to speak on what they've learned was, it was really amazing. So just seeing her having that expectation and the students meeting that expectation, it was really, it was exciting, especially in the face of the large concerns around whether or not this curriculum was appropriate for that grade level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that you focused on the positive and celebrated the small successes, but also the bright spots. I think that's really important. Do you, can you remember a story that a child shared with you? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Can you remember a story that a child shared with you that you were like, wow, oh my gosh, I can't believe he or she read that or wrote that or did that. Yeah. So we, (laughs) I'm not prompting you either. We didn't talk about this beforehand. No, we didn't. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, no, but I do, there's one student that she, you know, it's kindergarten. So some students are coming in without having any, had any schooling. And she was one of those students. Mm-hmm. She came in very, um, very far behind the rest of the group, just because she hadn't had any schooling. The growth that she made this past year. I mean, at one point it, it like my, <laughs> the teacher was just so excited to show me, you know, her writing, show me her. And she didn't get to the point of you know being on grade level by any means but the growth that she made to just be able to use the beginning sound to label a picture um was so far from where we came um and the fact that the student herself and she didn't give me the story but just seeing her confidence grow this Mm -hmm. year seeing her you know be able to speak about text even though she you know obviously wasn't able to read the text but she was able to point out details she was able to talk tell me about characters and things that you know another teacher may have had the idea that she would not have grown grown to that point based on where she came yeah um, or where she started but you know with this teacher's support and this teacher's expectations you know she didn't meet grade level expectations, but she definitely made growth and she felt supported in making that growth. And that gave her the confidence to continue to try. Yeah. And, I, wa- and I to wanna be like- one of the first people that spoke during Socratic seminars. So oh, <laughs> that's amazing. I, like I want to <laughs> stop and call out because I think you're making incredible points, but we are I want to draw attention to them because our purpose is to talk about equity and access. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the that little girl, um, the curriculum provided her the equity, right? Like what would have happened in the past? I imagine that what would have happened would have been that she would have gotten a leveled reader on mm-hmm. her level, which probably would have been level A, mm-hmm. if that, right? Like, if that. and yeah. she would be reading that and have not gained any content knowledge, um, vocabulary, had limited experience with text complexity, probably only the books that her teacher read aloud to the class when it was Thanksgiving or the holidays or, um, you know, the teacher was reading a lot about the seasons or whatever uh, 
that unit might have been. Mm-hmm. And then also she was providing, provided access to a teacher who <laughs> believed that to texts that, um, pushed her to rise to the challenge and to pull knowledge from Melissa, do you want to add anything? I feel like I'm just so excited to make this connection. <laughs> keep going, keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that's a perfect example of how equity and access play out in the curriculum. And even though this, the, she didn't get to grade level standards, she also missed five years of mm-hmm. uh, instruction, right? Like mm-hmm. that instruction mm-hmm. at home, the instruction in preschool, let's just say preschool instruction, that's still two years when their brains are sponges and just absorb everything. And, you know, Brielle, your daughter, probably like mine, who had preschool went into mm-hmm. kindergarten, knowing first sound fluency, knowing mm-hmm. medial sound fluency, knowing final sound fluency, being able to um, master the, the phonics um, components that were appropriate for their age, and then build on that schema to learn new ones. Um, but this child didn't have any. So she was really working with a clean slate. And that's huge that she made all those gains. And I think what was even bigger was just seeing her in the mix. She was not isolated as someone who couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, she was with the other student. She was, you know, partnering up with another student, with another group of um, students discussing the text. She was allowed to try and she didn't always get it right. The other amazing thing was just seeing how the students supported her because it was modeled from the teacher. The mm-hmm. students never made her feel like if she gave a wrong answer, you know, they never made her feel bad about that because the teacher never made her feel bad. The teacher supported her and the students mimicked that when they worked, you know, in the peer groups. So just that whole, and that's what built her confidence. That's what gave her the confidence to continue to try. And if that, if that's not there, um, if those expectations aren't there, students know, you know, they know when, they know what their teacher expects of them without the teacher even having to say it. Yeah. You know, you guys, I, I've always taught at the secondary level, sixth grade and higher. Um, and so you know, I, I, what I usually see is students who have had years of hearing that, you know, they can't do it or they've, they've kind of given up already. Um, and I've, I found like, it's a lot of hard work to undo those messages. Um, but you guys are making me think, I mean, it happens like the day they walk into kindergarten and I hadn't even thought that, right? Like, yeah, just like you said, like just having preschool or not ha- having gone to preschool and like automatically there can be expectations of, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, this student can't do that. They haven't had anything coming into kindergarten and yeah. how quickly those expectations can set in and what that can, you know, the, the difference in for that student that you're bringing up, Brielle, of like they, they went in this positive direction, but how quickly it could have gone in the other direction and what that would have set her trajectory for the rest of her schooling would be it it's crazy that that can happen so quickly yeah and that and that's that sweet child had access to um texts that her classmates were reading so on grade level so grade level text complex text and because she was engaged in the speaking and the listening and the writing and the reading like all integrated she was able to have that level playing field and the same access mm-hmm. as all her peers so 
like, I can't underscore that enough. I know you've already said that Brielle in one way, but I think that that's so important because now, you know, while she may not be able to read those texts, like you said, she is getting foundational literacy skills Mm -hmm. to supply that access, but also she's engaging with knowledge building texts and tasks to help her on the flip side of that to build her core knowledge of topics um, that she may not have known about and probably didn't. Um, Most of the kids actually probably didn't know about them. So they were learning together. (laughs) Yep. So I'm wondering, Brielle, as a coach, (laughs) um, you might not have the answers to this. It's okay. (laughs) I'm just curious. Still looking Um, for a lot of answers. (laughs) Of course, we all are. I'm wondering as a coach, I'm sure you you have some teachers who, like you said, just have that, like, high expectations for their students. They jumped right into this new curriculum and were like, yes, all my students can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you also have a handful of teachers that are still kind of like struggling with, I, I don't know if our students can get here. Um, do you, have you already worked with teachers and supporting them through that changing mindsets or wh- where are you with that? Or <laughs> That's a good question. Way to drop a heavy question, Melissa. I know. This is no problem. <laughs> I said she might not have answers. <laughs> I mean, this, wondering. <laughs> this past year, I think what I've really tried to do is just partner in the learning around yeah. the curriculum, partner in understanding how the curriculum is designed, why it's designed that way, um, studying in the lessons together, um, co-planning lessons, um, being there during the lesson implementation so that I can be another set of eyes um, to then partner in reflection <laughs> around how that lesson went and um, also be the person that's kind of like the cheerleader to highlight the small successes because it's hard when you're, you know, when you're the teacher and you're the one delivering the instruction, it's hard to see those small successes. Um, when you're looking for um, big, big moves <laughs> in your students. So that's been my kind of my path this past year. This next year, what I really am moving towards is that second charge from Unbound Ed, which is attending to the language of the standards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Really looking to start year two off with an understanding that the curriculum is built around the standards. So as teachers, we need to know what the standards are asking of students. Um, I'm really excited because we offered three days of um, PD and planning time for teachers um, actually next week, which is two full weeks before school even starts. Um, And all of my literacy team, all of the literacy teachers have agreed to come. So I'm very excited about that, that they're, you know, willing to take three days out of their summer to really do some dig into deep standards analysis, really plan and prepare for curriculum implementation this year. That's um, awesome. It's yeah, really awesome. Way to go, Lockerman Bundy teachers. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out yeah. to Lockerman Bundy. If we had like a sound effect, we could put it in right here. We could do it. We can do it. We'll you want to do it? Like, we'll see what happens. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. <laughs> that's awesome Brielle it is I think that speaks to you though as well as them so 
take, I think that we need to highlight you too, that you, you know, have built that and that they see that and see the value in coming to plan and, and spend time doing that work with you. I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this year is, you know, how we improve this year. We, we had a lot of struggles, but um, we've also had a lot of reflection. And um, we're, just like we said with the students, we're going to get back up. We're going to try again. Um, so I think it's really interesting, Brielle, that you brought up, um, you know, that you basically you're starting with the first two charges, the adopting the line curriculum and attending to the language of the standards. And I think I think when people people like me who standards institute think about equity and access i think we jump right to those things about like the three and the four which is like the talking about race and examining bias and like um i think those i personally i could be wrong you guys tell me because you you know more but um they can be really um heavy and um i mean it's it's a lot to to just jump in right so we're already changing teacher practice with new curriculum we're um trying to change mindsets and I think like if if someone came to me and like said hey I just watched your lesson and I think there's a little bias in there (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be like oh my gosh okay (laughs) um so I'm just wondering I think like I think to me it makes sense to like start with just like what are we teaching our students start there um are are there some bridges or are you starting think to think about those other like talking about race and examining bias um is that something that you kind of are trying to weave in or maybe like that's what comes the year after this one or what what are you thinking with that so i can speak on this just because like you said it's it's not the most comfortable thing to get into discussions about race and bias, um, especially when you are in a group of people with a group of people that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is um, true. I think that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. We were kind of thrown into the deep end with that. Um, and it was really heavy, but it was, it was, I mean, it was an amazing experience that yeah. I would mm-hmm. not change if I, you know, if I could go back, I would never change anything about it. Um, but with what you're saying with, how to get into that and where it plays into the idea of what we're teaching students. I think I, because it was so heavy and I think Laura, you can, you know, jump in on this, but I was very like hesitant to even tackle it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because it just, it was, it was something I had to go and, you know, they'll tell you, this is something that you have to really flesh out for yourself first yeah um before you can really get into it with anyone else and it took me a while to really think through and really understand and to really see firsthand how bias does play into instruction um and again a lot of it is very unconscious it's not something that you would even know you're mm-hmm. doing or necessarily think has anything to do with the students that are in, or how you feel about the students in front of you yeah. um so it is, like you said, it, it can be scary to talk to someone about that. Um, that person, you know, I, I don't want anyone to feel um, attacked around that. But at the same time, it's, from what I've learned, it's something that has to be discussed. It has to be um, brought out to the forefront so that we can be mindful of it. Um, because it's something that we all do. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's more about 
um, taking action once you know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And like you said, I think you said at the beginning, it was like almost like sometimes it comes out in the like, you love your students so much. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to fail. <laughs> right. So it's not like um, malicious or, you know, it's, it's often like comes out as a caring about your students, but yeah, it, it's, it's a hard thing to see that when you're like, but I want my students to do well. I care about them, yeah. <laughs> but there is like some bias in there um, yeah. for what they can achieve. I think that, that once you look inside yourself and get really comfortable with talking about it, even if, and, well, register it with yourself first and then, yeah. you know, start talking about it um, in an environment where you feel like you can be open um, and in our equity residency, I feel like we had a really special group of people who, um, you know, allowed us to be ourselves and to present our ideas and to talk openly. But also we laughed a lot. We laughed about a lot of things to kind of break the ice of the seriousness. We also um, cried about a lot of things. <laughs> what, would, what, would Brendan, what would Brendan O'Day say, Brielle? He, he would, we took the, the pressure cooker and with yep. our laughter, we, we dropped the pressure a little bit, right? Yep. <laughs> I need to get Brendan O'Day on this podcast. That oh is my I, get to, I get to meet him next week. So okay. <laughs> tell him Lori said hi. That is my mission. Um, but I feel like once you look internally, then you start like, at least I did when I was in classrooms, you know, after that, I sort of just started noticing and I, yeah. then I started naming it in my head and I could notice and name it. The more comfortable I felt, um, talking about it and I had to practice. I felt like I needed to really be considerate of the words that I chose and, you know, the approach, um, because not everybody is comfortable talking about it. And it's, it's something that we don't talk about. I mean, I don't think that everybody in their friend group has even sat down and had a conversation about this. So, um, to talk about it at work is even more difficult with your colleagues and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually like really glad that they didn't just tell you guys like get back there and have these tough conversations <laughs> just like jump right in because yeah <laughs> um I think that could be really messy and set up a lot of people for some yeah, yeah. definitely some uncomfortable situations and a lot of pushback yeah well, and I think <laughs> if too- they're not ready for those conversations yes and I think these kinds of conversations um I think that the, the the workshop that we did, which is was through the People's Institute, it was called Undoing Racism Workshop. Mm. I think that that workshop in particular was very different than anything I had experienced before. Um, the things that I had experienced before almost felt like, I don't know, like I felt like almost defensive or like, don't talk because you don't want to get chewed out. Um, right. But this felt like it was a historical perspective. Um, it felt very um, authentic. And like, I wanted to hear Brielle's story. You know, I wanted to hear everybody's story who I was there with. And it was more story driven, which I think allowed us to connect to each other's experiences and um, just consider other viewpoints or 
you know, and, and hear um, other people's experiences that have shaped them into maybe the unconscious bias that they might have and, and work through that together. So it was just very different. Um, I don't know, Brielle, how did you feel? Um, I definitely, I felt the same way. It was very, it was the most, the, the most different experience I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially in a professional setting, but uh-huh. it was, it was, like I said, it was amazing. It was amazing to be able to hear from other people and have time to really reflect on things that I had never even thought through. Um, and I, I mean, I left that and I went and spoke to my sister after that. And we had like hours long conversation about <laughs> these same topics and just, just being able to pull, it was, it was eye opening. It was, um, it was, I would say it was life changing for me. Yeah. I agree. And, um, and just, you know, as a woman of color to look back on my life and the experiences that I've had and to have new realizations about things that I never really maybe I you know maybe didn't want to think about because like you said like it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it's easier to ignore it or not let it be a part of the conversation but I think that's the danger um that's where it gets dangerous when we're not talking about it it's allowed to perpetuate yeah um and another thing that you know unbound ed is really kind of put into our into our minds is that no you know and (laughs) um miss barbara major from um the undoing racism Mm -hmm. the people's network um will tell you you don't go out there and be a martyr we don't (laughs) need more martyrs (laughs) you need we need you to keep your job we need you to be able to you know influence people from within where you know within your systems um but at the same time Unbound Ed has really let us know that no one's ever going to be ready to talk about race. You yeah. know, it's never, there's never going to be a time when people are like, okay, now we're ready to have this uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Cause <laughs> if we knew we were going there to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys didn't have a choice. No, right? well, I, don't, I, I don't, I would have been like, wait a minute. <laughs> But so if, if anybody's listening and they're like, okay, I'm going to Google the People's Institute, which I will link in the notes. Um, but Unbound Ed also has a bias toolkit on their website um, where it can help us to work through uh, different pieces of, of exploring bias. So part one is where they introduce bias. Part two is thinking about a historical perspective about race in America. And then part three we consider how does bias manifest in our schools. So this can be really helpful, I think, for for parents, for anyone wanting to learn more, for leaders, for teachers, um, just so that we can, to circle back, hold those high expectations for students and you know help them to get everything that they earn and deserve out of our educational system and the curriculums that we we put in front of them. So I. I will link that in the show notes, um, that toolkit. I'm making notes now for all the things that I'm linking. <laughs> um, but Brielle, is there anything that you want to share, like a last piece of advice or a final thought? We're going to let you have the final word here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would just, I mean, my advice, I think, to anyone going through implementation of 
um, a new standards aligned curriculum is really just to set those high expectations for students. Um, let the students know that it's okay to fail, um, but that you're there to help them improve and really highlight their successes and keep the success, the, even the small successes at the forefront. It's a long process um, to seeing big results, but it's worth the time it's going to take. It's worth the energy it's going to take. It's worth um, the little failures that we're going to have along the way are worth it to get to that um, to get to that big goal in the end of our students being really independent and mastering these standards and being ready for life when they leave us. Mike, yeah, that, <laughs> I sounds so simple, but it is so hard to actually do. So that's really great advice. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much, Brielle. Thank you guys. We're so happy that you came on to talk about a really difficult topic. And we, we promise that this will not be the last time that we talk about this on our podcast we want to bring it back again and we hope that you'll come back again that would be great thank you guys <laughs> for having me absolutely yeah thanks brielle bye so if you liked this episode of melissa and Lori love literacy please go on to wherever you listen to podcasts give us five stars give us a five-star review we would be so grateful it makes a huge difference in the algorithms and how our podcast shows up and is available for other teachers and leaders who might want to learn more about um, the challenges with implementing new curriculum so thank you so much for listening <laughs>